This is the last of our little um, three-part series that, that I hoped would um, best prepare us for um, uh, moving into our building. Um, before I, I get to that, I, did, I was given an announcement. Our men's ministry has a work project this Saturday uh, at 8 a.m., a house that we're trying to refer. Actually, it was, it was pretty much cleaned off the slab and, uh, and is being rebuilt for a, um, gosh, I think she's an 81-year-old woman. Um, she's awfully old, I recall. And her home is close to the old defense depot. If you uh, uh, have uh, thumbs that are willing to be smashed, the tools are provided. And there's a map out here at the men's um, uh, kiosk that will help you get directions. This Saturday, I'm building a house or finishing up a house. Uh, I asked you to come be with me on the three Wednesday nights. Um, uh, this, of course, is uh, an awfully ugly one to be out. But I, I, my concern is that we're about to undergo a very significant um, transition in the life of our church. And, and I wanted to um, say some things that I hoped would make that transition um, a, a transition with less questions. How to say that? That is, um, as we move to another, basically, location of worship, um, I wanted to, to make sure that your questions were quieted, your hearts were confident, and so that we can spend the rest of our time celebrating. This is a wonderful thing that God has wrought in our midst, and, and I, uh, I, I felt like some things needed to be said to quiet whatever um, concerns that, that we know of none, but that may exist so that we would not be robbed of some of our, uh, of our capacity to celebrate God's provision for us. So we spent a couple of weeks on some things uh, known as change and, and some of the uh, specifics of change. Tonight I want to speak to you uh, in, in a little direction, a little bit different direction. Uh, actually, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, not, not change, but the very opposite of change. Uh, and you'll see, understand in a minute. You know, in our judicial system, um, it operates on a principle that is that you're innocent until proven guilty. Because of some of the great scandals that existed in the church and still continue to exist in the church, um, um, uh, you, you know, you never pick up a Christianity Today. If you if you <coughs> if you read Christianity Today uh, magazine, you'll find a new scandal every month that is being uh, discussed in um, that magazine about something that's happened in the church. Well, because of all that scandal, are those scandals that continue to take place? There's, there's almost a sense that uh, churches need to operate it on the opposite principle, that is, guilty until proven innocent. Um, the world, I think, wants to know, can the church be trusted? And, and I think the people of God want to know, um, can the church be trusted? And um, it takes a long time to build trust. Um, I, I have said on numerous occasions, if... If we, as the leadership of the church, have the trust of the people, everything else will fall into place. There has to be a sense that the people who are leading us as a church can be trusted. I, so I guess the big issue is um, integrity, ecclesiastical integrity. Is there any of that in the church of which I am a part? Or is the church just another business? And as you 
the, the larger I think a church gets, the more the question is asked. Are they just another business? Uh, is it just another uh, profit-making uh, venture uh, where some people's reputations are at stake and, uh, um, and that's about it? Or am I in a place that I can trust the leadership in this direction? So I, I'm, I'm convinced that one of the central elements of ministry is a, is a long-term display of overt integrity. That's why, uh, do you know that the average uh, length of stay in the Southern Baptist Church for a pastor is 18 months? That's a tragic statistic, ladies and gentlemen. And it's not any better anyplace else. I'm not uh, picking on the Southern Baptist, but um, uh, I don't know how you can develop a sense of trust in 18 months. I think one of the most important things that we as a leadership in this church can do is to display over a long period of time overt integrity. Now, as you know, there's a lot of factors that go into making up one's personal integrity. A lot of things that go into that. Um, but there's a lot of things that go into making up a church's uh, integrity. A lot of factors that collect and gather to, uh, so that you can arrive at a conclusion that, yes, my church is full of integrity. There's, uh, of course, uh, finances. The handling of finances is, a, is one of those factors. Um, uh, a pastoral accountability. Is our pastor accountable to anyone? Uh, that's one of the factors. Is the eldership accountable to anyone? Um, there are all ways of building integrity uh, and trust in a congregation. But one of the things that I learned several years ago, um, and I want to tell you about it in just a minute, but one of, the, one of the ways that you can radiate integrity, I think, in a church, and, and very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, I learned this from the corporate world, but one of the ways that you can radiate integrity in the, in the church world is to is to capture a vision, that is, capture a vision that God has, has, has formed, and, and pursue that vision with passion. That is, maintain a course on which a vision is pursued with passion. Now, let, let me, having said that, I really learned that from a corporate world. Years ago, when I was doing my coursework in this doctoral program that I was a part in the early 80s, there was one of the courses that we were uh, required to take, and uh, the, um, the title of the course was Administrating for Progress. Now, you can imagine how I fit in a course on a church administration. I am uh, I'm not one that cares two hoots and a holler about a detail or a meeting. Um, I go to meetings for a living. But I, 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 don't, I don't like meetings. Uh, they're not my cup of tea. And, and so I'm, my goal in a meeting is to race it through and get it finished as fast as I can possibly get it finished. But that doesn't work sometimes because the issues are complex. But um, this, this course that I took was taught by a guy by the name of Pat McMillan. Pat McMillan is a gift to the church. He was Billy Graham's right-hand man in all of those Amsterdam things that he used to do, world evangelization, all that. Well, when, in fact, I was sitting in a course uh, on Christian education in the same doctoral program, and um, the, the, the dean of the thing came in and says, I need to talk to you guys. Would you mind changing the dates of our next... Uh, we had to go to school for two weeks uh, twice a month, once in January and once in July, or summer. 
Would you mind changing, could your uh, schedules permit us changing it from June to July? Uh, our next two week, uh, because the man who's supposed to teach the course, Pat McMillan, um, has been asked by Billy Graham, Billy Graham needs him for something, and so, uh, so we all agreed and we changed our plans, etc. But anyway, Pat McMillan taught this course, and I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it was, it was far and away my favorite thing that I ever did. He, he was, but he assigned all these books to read that I would have never read, um, without having a, had taken this course on administration, which I still don't do well. I mean, I didn't learn much, but I didn't enjoy the course. But uh, one of the books that he had us read, and it was a, it was a hot seller in the early 80s, was a book by uh, Peters and Waterman called In Search of Excellence. You may remember it uh, in some MBA programs. They still require that that book be read. Because what they did is do a vast amount of corporate research about what made companies stick. What made good companies good companies. And um, I, I want to read you just one sentence, two sentences, from the closing chapter in that book. It's the first two sentences in the last chapter because they were summing everything up um, <clears throat> as to all of our research, da 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 and, and this is kind of a summary sentence. You, you'll understand. <clears throat> Let us suppose, this is the opening two sentences of the last chapter. Let us suppose that we were asked for one all-purpose bit of advice for management. One truth that we were able to distill from the excellent company's research. We might be tempted to reply, figure out your value system. Decide what your company stands for. In all this research of Procter & Gamble and 3M and, and Coca-Cola and all these excellent profit-making companies, they, they, they distilled it down. If you, if you wanted one all-purpose bit of advice for management, find out what your value system is, find out what you stand for, and stick to it. Find out what you stand for and stick to it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, I want to suggest to you... Um, that that's one way to display long-term ecclesiastical integrity. To find out what you stand for and stick to it. Rick Warren wrote a book, who is the pastor of Saddleback Church in uh, San Diego, wrote a book that's just sold like wildfire, and, and it's, it's kind of tailing off now, but it was a book entitled The Purpose Driven Church. And basically, he was saying the same thing that Waters and Peterman were were. Uh, Peters and Waterman were, were saying uh, 20 years earlier about corporations, that churches have to be purpose-driven. Now, guys, for those of you who have not um, made it into church on time for the last four years and um, have never heard me say this, you need to hear it because this is what we stand for. We are a church that exists to reach an unchurched world through maturing believers. That is what we stand for as a church. Reaching an unchurched world, that it, through maturing believers, is our stated purpose. If you, I said this Sunday, but it's a French phrase, raison d'etre. If you know anything about French, d'etre is the verb to be. It's the reason, raison, the reason for being is 
to reach an unchurched world through maturing believers. And that is something, ladies and gentlemen, to which we are passionately committed. And all of our core values grow out of that stated purpose. And I guess the thing that I really want to say to you tonight, that I, that I hope will, will thrust us into a new dimension of ministry together, all on the same page, and that is this. Do not ever expect that to change. I want you to know that just because we change in terms of some of the things that we do and the times that we do them and the place that we do them, the church is still committed to that same value, that same intent, that same purpose. We are convinced that the best way to carry out the Great Commission as a church is to provide a church climate in which spiritual growth can take place on the part of all its people. Um, and, and our hope is that as that growth takes place, I mean, just, just walk through it with me real slowly. Reaching an unchurched world through maturing believers. We're hoping that as our people mature, they will sense a burden to reach. That's all we're in business. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, if you really want to know the truth, it's kind of the Great Commission summarized in seven different other words. Reaching an unchurched... I mean, that's what Jesus says, you know, and go into all the world and baptize them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you along with you always. Those two things that consist, that make up the two primary parts of the Great Commission make up the primary parts of our reason for being as a church. Guys, we're convinced that the greatest evangelist is the mature believer. Um, Sheldon Van Auken, I don't know if you ever read Severe Mercy. You ever read Severe Mercy? Um, he wrote Severe Mercy, but it, it includes a lot of letters from C.S. Lewis. Boy, if you've never read Severe Mercy, ladies, if you want a book that you can absolutely love and cry over it every little bit, uh, read A Severe Mercy. It is wonderful. Sheldon Van Auken um, was the author. But anyway, um, he said something, and I don't think he said it in that book. I forget where he said it, but he said this. The best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. The best advertisement for is you. The best advertisement against is you. Our desire is to see you Matured to the place where you are great advertisers, great arguments for the Christian gospel. And so we want our church to be a place where discipleship takes place for the purpose of evangelism. Not just discipleship for the purpose of big heads. You know, guys, um, I say this, or I used to say, I don't say it anymore because Richard teaches it, um, uh, this portion of the remembrance class. But I used to say something in the remembrance class that every time my wife was told that I said it, she would, she would verbally uh, berate me. Uh, but since she's not in the room, and I know that none of you will tell her, being the trustworthy crowd that you are, 
um, I used to have a term that is so offensive and so crude, uh, but so descriptive of the people of God. And it's this description of taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. And the term is that the, that the church of Jesus Christ, in large measure, is spiritually, here it is, constipated. You know? It's take, but guys, my point in making that crude observation is to say our hope is that we are discipling you in such a way that you have become, that you have caught a vision for the world. And um, everything that we do is organized around trying to do that. Everything that you see here, everything in the youth ministry, everything in the children's ministry, everything is designed to to see people grow up to the point where they get a burden for lost men. We are not organized around events. We are not organized around a pulpit. We are organized around a vision. And out of that vision grows uh, everything that we do. So all of our plans are designed to help us do that. That's what we're structured to, to encircle or to encapsulate in all that we do. We came into being as a church believing that. And we still believe it today, brothers and sisters. And no building is ever going to change that. And, and, and that's the thing that I want you to hear. Um, it's my job to see to it that we stay on track. That we stick to our knitting. Guys, do you know one of the purposes of the pulpit, um, and I think the purpose of our pulpit, I hope, is that, that it's a unifying principle. The, the purpose of the pulpit is to unify the church around a stated purpose. Um, and, and my job is as the keeper of the vision. And it's this vision reaching an unchurched world for maturing believers, that I am intended, that, that I have been committed to keep. And guys, no amount of frill, no amount of growth, no amount of, of hoopla, no amount of change, no amount of anything is ever going to change the fact that what we are about as a church is reaching an unchurched world for maturing believers. Um, now, let, let me add to that this little fact. And I, I said it a moment ago, but I want to say it a little bit differently. What we do flows from who we are. Being always precedes doing. <clears throat> who we are as a congregation gives rise to what we do, not the other way around. Guys, that's the gospel too. You've got to be before you do. One of the perversions of the gospel is we do before we be. But as a church, we are a church that, that is a certain thing, and because we're that certain thing, programs, events grow out of that, not vice versa. And I want you to, I want you to take confidence in that, that nothing changes. You'll see some changes, yes. You're going to feel changes, yes. But in terms of the core of our, the root of who we are, in terms of long-term integrity, no, ladies and gentlemen. That is not a, 
subject for discussion. It's not a debate anywhere whether we should become all things to all men. We are not all things to all men, ladies and gentlemen. For instance, we are not here at Gracie Van and Evangelistic Crusade. By the way, may I back up and say, that's our vision. That's not to say it's the best vision. It's not to say it's the only vision. It's not to say that it's the only valid vision. There are a lot of good churches in this town that have other uh, stated purposes. But it's our vision. And so that's what we stick to. And so we're not trying to be all things to all men. We're, we're not trying to be an evangelistic crusade. That's not what we're trying to do. Because the stated purpose is we're trying to reach an interest for maturing believers. So if we become an evangelistic crusade, how are they going to mature? How are they going to be taught? That's not what we're trying to do. We're not a charismatic renewal. Very, hopefully, very in tune with the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but we're not a charismatic renewal, so we're not going to do that. Our programs are designed to facilitate our purpose. Everything. Everything is organized around that one central theme. And all of it is trying to pull in the same direction, guys. Our, our music... You know, you know, as you well know, music can be so hotly debated. But guys, even our music is designed to reach an unchurched world through maturing believers. That's is that's if we wanted to be if we wanted to be an evangelistic crusade, maybe we would do something different. If we wanted to be a charismatic renewal, I guarantee we'd do something different. But we're not those things. Do, do you notice that what Jimmy sings? Do you, do, you, do you ever engage in the richness of what we sing here? Because it's not just important that you be able to tap your foot. It's important that our people are even uh, maturing in what we, uh, what we sing in praises. Guys, um, this portion of that seven word maturing believers that portion of the philosophy do you realize that first john chapter 2 talks about three stages of maturity of maturation it talks about children young men and fathers have you ever read that in first john 2 you've seen those three stages well here's how the kind of way we've we've um, understood that there is a stage in which you are a child and you are a taker and you need to be a taker and then you move to another uh, stage in your spiritual development where you're no longer a taker, but you're a minister. And then you come to the place where uh, your, your maturation level is such that you become a reproducer. And that's what we're trying to do with you, ladies and gentlemen, is turn you all... Nothing can make us happier than to turn this church over to the laity. Every part of it. Every part of it, ladies and gentlemen. So that, we, that you are... A, a reproducer, and I'll and I'll tell you this: if you remain a taker, about five years into your taking, you're going to wake up and you're going to say, you know, something's just kind of not right, and um, we are going to know why. Because if you just if you just take and never move to that next stage, and then from there move to the next stage, there's going to be some real spiritual sickness on your part. Um, I, I want you to see a text, ladies and gentlemen, and then with this we're almost finished. If you can open your Bibles to, uh, to Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to see what we're trying to do, and this is what we're passionately committed to keep doing.
and to do it better. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, teachers. And here it is, guys. If you've never seen this verse in the New Testament, you need to, you need to grasp this one. Why did God himself, or the, why did he give all these offices to the church? Huh? Why did he give the church apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and pastors? Why, why did he do that? What's, what's the purpose and intended reason for God doing that? Here's their, here's their purpose. For monopolizing the ministry unto themselves so that people could become uh, consumers. Notice what it says, ladies and gentlemen. The job of the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastor teachers is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what we're in business to do. That's what we're supposed to be doing with you. Equipping you for the work of ministry so that the body can be built up. Guys, we are determined by God's grace to take you to that, that reproduction step or stage. A church run by the people and not by uh, even a pastor. And, you know, guys, we are, we are also convinced that everything that Jesus expects us to do as a church, he's already given it to us. We already had it. It's already here. It's among us, right here, in the body of Christ. And what we need to do is take you to the place where you see, that's my ministry, and then to the stage where you're reproducing yourself and others. Guys, I, I, I'll close with this. Um, this is, I, I look for this song in, um, in our hymnal. I couldn't find it. And uh, I, I'm, I'm surprised because, you know, I'm an old Methodist boy who uh, was raised in the church. And, and I remember some of those hymns, and I, I, I love some of those hymns. And one of the hymns that always kind of, there was a certain virility to this hymn. And, uh, you know, we sing it, I think we've sung it around here, uh, you know, on occasion in an evangelism conference or, I mean, or an admissions conference or something. But um, uh, it's kind of a, you know, military, go get them kind of hymn. At least it is to me. Um, we've a story to tell to the nations that will turn their heart to the right. A story of peace and wisdom. A story of truth and light. A story of truth and light. For the darkness shall come to the dawning and the dawning to noonday bright. And Christ's great kingdom shall come on earth. A kingdom of love and light. Guys, we've got a story to tell to the nations. It's the same story that other churches are trying to tell the nations. We have a framework in which we plan to disseminate that story. And it is reaching them through you growing up into, the, into conformity with Christ. And I say to you, my brother and sister in Christ, when you catch that vision, or at least when that vision catches you, it'll be obvious to you and those around you because you will be a reproducer. To us, uh, our commitment to that, which has never wavered, my brother and sister in Christ, it's one way that we can communicate ecclesiastical integrity to you. We, we invite you to come along with this adventure 
on this adventure with us, ladies and gentlemen. But know this. The changes that we are about to undergo are things to celebrate in that all they're designed to do is give us a greater and bigger opportunity for one thing. Reaching an unchurched world through maturing believers. If that is something you have enjoyed being a part of in the past, it is something that you can be assured of that you can enjoy being a part of in the future because it's not going to change. That building is not going to change that. I can tell you this. They started painting today. Are you ready? We are. Because nothing's changed. Nothing's changed, ladies and gentlemen. A feel will change. But our commitments to do the things that we've been called to do by God, they remain steadfast. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you will assure your people that though the changes ahead of us are, um, are sometimes stark or perhaps big, that what hasn't changed is a commitment to reaching an unchurched world through maturing believers. That nobody has gotten off course. That we remain steadfast in a commitment to reach lost men. But the way, oh God, we feel that that will best be done is for people like who are in this room to move out of the taking stage into a ministry stage and out of a ministry stage into a reproducing stage where they reproduce who they are in other men and women in the body of Christ. Oh God, might um, you grant us success in that regard. We are hoping to leave behind a legacy of transformed people in hopes that the world will be impacted by the lives that they watch us live. Oh God, empower us to accomplish that. It will never be done in the flesh. Might the Spirit of God enable us to stick to the knitting. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Good night.